Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. Happiness is a very powerful emotion. Research has shown that happiness has a positive impact on health, productivity and even wealth. Besides living longer and falling sick less, it has been found that happy people are better workers. In fact, businesses can profit by having happier employees because they are more likely to rise to the challenge in the face of adversity instead of crumbling under stress. Happy employees are also more likely to be better organization citizens who would go the extra mile for their colleagues and the company. An associate professor of psychology at the Singapore Management University, Dr. Christy Scollin, has been doing research on subjective well-being for 15 years and has published over 30 articles on subjective well-being. The pursuit of happiness is what she's really passionate about. In fact, she has recently taught happiness as a module in SMU. The course received very good responses from students who were introduced to the science behind this emotion. In this podcast, Professor Christy Scollin shares her insights and knowledge about subjective well-being, especially focusing on happiness and its cultural comparisons among Singaporeans and Americans. Professor, we know that you have done some really interesting research on happiness. How would you define happiness? Can happiness be taught? Is it something that can be learned or acquired? The word happiness has a lot of meanings in everyday discourse. So researchers prefer to stick to a more precise definition. It's usually defined as a combination of two things. Number 1, having overall high life satisfaction, which is the feeling that your life is pretty good. And number 2, having more frequent pleasant emotions than unpleasant emotions. So in other words, feeling good more often than feeling bad. In subjective well-being research, we are mainly concerned with how people feel overall. So, um in any instance, you can feel happy or angry depending on what's going on, but what researchers are more interested in is in the aggregate of these momentary states. Now, you might ask how how can we measure life satisfaction or emotions? And the answer is pretty straightforward. We simply ask people how they feel about their lives. The reason for this is what we're talking about and what we're interested in is subjective well-being. not objective well-being we're interested in subjective well-being we're interested in how people feel about their own lives so it makes sense just to ask them people are the best judges of their own lives and it really means something uh, for example if uh, someone were to say to you i feel really depressed i feel like my life is not worth living well that means something right we wouldn't dismiss that uh, easily we, we would pay attention to that so uh, in the same vein if someone says I like my life. My life is really good. I'm satisfied with my life overall. That means something too. So just because something is subjective doesn't mean that it's worthless. Now, um can happiness be taught? Well, in my class, I don't necessarily teach how to be happy. Uh, my class is mostly about the science of happiness. So we discuss how to study it, how to measure it, what are the major discoveries in the research on happiness. Some of this includes scientific studies on how to increase happiness, but we also discuss behavioral genetic studies um that show that happiness, a good proportion of happiness is heritable. Can you teach people how to become happier? Yes. There are some scientifically tested techniques for increasing happiness, but the research is new and nobody has studied how long the effects last. So, you know, you may be able to do an intervention where you can increase happiness for a week or 2 weeks, maybe even a few months or half a year, 
but after that, we don't really know how long these effects last. My guess is taking what I know from genetics, personality, and the environment is that if you want to become happier, and if you are a very unhappy person to begin with, it's going to take more than a quick fix. So you can do a little meditation once a week, but it's probably not going to get you there. The reason is we develop habits. We develop cognitive habits over time, over our lifetime, and these can be hard to reverse. You have to practice new habits, and it's not easy. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. And there are also things like sleep and exercise and diet that will affect the brain and the body. So even if you can change your cognitive habits with a lot of effort and time, no amount of that is going to help if you're only getting five hours of sleep each night and eating junk food. So all of our systems are related um, and and you're going to have to change multiple factors in order to make a big change in your happiness. But it can be done. It's just uh, it's not easy and a lot of a lot of factors in our lives actually point to maintaining stability. A lot of things in the environment and in our lives really make it so that it's difficult to change, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to change. Now, if you're already happy and you just want a little boost in happiness, or if um, you're unhappy and you need a short-term boost, then there's definitely some scientific techniques that can help. So things like uh, loving-kindness meditation or gratitude interventions, keeping a gratitude journal, or practicing random acts of kindness. These are things that have been scientifically tested, and they can help. We understand that your module on happiness was very well received by students. Is it important for young people to learn about happiness? How do you teach the subject in class? Most people are curious about happiness. After all, who doesn't want to be happier? But young people are especially curious about this topic. This is a time in their lives when they are defining their life's priorities. They're asking, is there more to life than getting good grades, getting a good job, and making lots of money? This generation isn't defining itself solely by material acquisitions. They want more out of life. I also teach the class from a very scientific perspective. Honestly, the students probably thought it would be an easy subject, but they got a big surprise after the first exam. They thought, oh, this is happiness. This is a topic I know something about. It should be easy, but it's, it's actually very hard. And I think it's important to teach the class from a scientific perspective because nowadays everybody is an expert on happiness. Your grandmother probably has some ideas about how to be happier. You just Google happiness and you'll turn up thousands of self-help experts. And unless you're doing the research like me, how do you know who to believe? How do you know whose advice to follow? And this is where the research comes in. This is where science is really important. Science helps us to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Science helps us to determine what works and what doesn't work. Science helps us to, to learn what interventions really can boost happiness and what cannot. You have also done some cross-cultural comparisons between Singaporean and American students. Could you tell us how similar or different their perspectives of happiness are? In my own research, I've mainly looked at cultural differences in perceptions of the good life, not so much on cultural definitions of happiness per se, but I will say that other people's research, not my own, has shown that Americans define happiness more in terms of their personal feelings, but East Asians define happiness more in terms of uh, both personal feelings and social norms. So they consider how they feel inside, but they also consider whether they're leading a life that is um, that meets the expectations of important others like their family and their friends. Now in my research, I focused on East and West 
cultural differences in how people define the good life. So I'm really interested in what are the ingredients that people think are important, are essential to creating a good life. And what my colleagues and I have found is there are some similarities and there are some differences between Singaporeans and Americans. So both Singaporeans and Americans value happiness and meaning in life. They think in order to have a good life, you absolutely have to be happy and you have to have some purpose in life. But where they differ is when it comes to money. All things being equal, everyone of course would rather have more money than less money. But for Americans, wealth is not essential to the good life. However, for Singaporeans, wealth was pretty important to the good life. Now, it was still not as important as things like happiness and meaning in life, but it was still pretty important to Singaporeans. So I thought this was really interesting. And so my colleague Derek Wirtz and I set out to delve a little bit deeper here to find out what's going on. And we conducted an experiment where we asked people to visualize their lives from either the first person perspective or the third person perspective. Now from the first person perspective, this is visualizing your life from the inside out. So through your own eyes. Uh, and it would be using words like I and me to write a story. So when you're talking about what you're doing, say I did this, I did that. But from the third person perspective, this is visualizing your life from the outside in. So it's almost like a, an out-of-body uh, experience where you can visualize yourself like, like you're floating above yourself and you see your whole person right in the context of a situation. And in, in terms of writing, third person involves using pronouns like he or she. So instead of saying I did this or I did that, it would be she did this or she did that. So an interesting ha thing happens when we put people in this third person perspective. What happens is wealth becomes more important to the good life and things like happiness become less important. And we reasoned that this third person perspective is more like living in a collectivist society. So in a collective society, you are constantly aware of how you fit in, in your context and you're constantly aware of how others view you as opposed to the first person perspective which is a little more American where there's less regard for how others view you so when we make people aware of how others view them then the objective goods in life, things like wealth, become more important to the good life. And the reason for this is these objective goods are things that are visible. They're things that can be compared across people. Uh, so um, thinking about how others view you activates some kind of social comparison. And these objective goods are things that can be compared across people. We all know that it is important to be happy. But what are the consequences or positive outcomes of being happy? One of the major findings in subjective well-being research is that happiness is good for you. We are learning a lot about the impact of happiness on health, on productivity, and even wealth. Now, some of these things people used to think of as the causes of happiness, like if you're healthier, then of course you would be happier. But research is flipping this question around and finding that actually being happier can make you healthier, for example. So um, this has been studied extensively, not in my own lab, but by others. And one of the best studies was a study done by Sheldon Cohen. And he injected happy and unhappy people with the cold virus and found that happy people were less likely to develop symptoms, or even if they did develop symptoms, their symptoms were less severe. And they measured this in the most incredible way by by actually weighing the tissues that people blew their nose into. And the 
happy people produced less mucus, for example, than the unhappy people, and they got over their illness faster. So if they if they were less likely to get sick, but even if they did get sick, it was less severe. Now, other studies have shown that happy people live longer than unhappy people, uh, but you might you might complain that, okay, well, maybe happy people just have different lifestyles from unhappy people. And it's, you know, is it really something about this, this emotion of happiness? Is it really something about that? Or is it about their lifestyles? Another famous study examined a group of nuns. And these researchers examined the nuns, how happy they were when they first entered the convent. And the nuns wrote an autobiographical diary entry uh, at about the age of 22 when they joined the convent and these stories were coded for how much positive emotion they contained so a happy nun would write something like I feel blessed that I'm joining uh, the convent that I'm following God's orders uh, and an unhappy nun might not mention anything any positive emotion at all now what the researchers found was that the happiest nuns outlived the least happy nuns by at least nine years in that study now this study is famous for a couple reasons and it's an incredible study number one is it tells us something about the importance of happiness per se okay so so the difference between the unhappy nuns and the happy nuns had nothing to do with lifestyle because these are nuns right they're they're lifestyle is controlled across both both groups here they're living the same lifestyle so the only difference between them is how happy they are so it tells us that there's something important something special about happiness that has health benefits and number two this is important because what the researchers were measuring was death okay the the final outcome here is death and unlike other health studies where you ask people about their symptoms or how many visits to the doctor does this hurt does that hurt death is something that cannot be faked right so so in this study um, the happier nuns actually outlived the unhappy nuns and we know that this is a truly objective measure of health Another study followed a group of college students and found how happy they were when they started university predicted their salary 20 years later. Now, for the longest time, people thought, okay, if you make more money, you're going to be happier. But in this case, the happiness actually preceded the salaries by 20 years, right? So we can't say that it's the happiness that is the result of the money, but instead it's the happiness that's the cause of making more money. So uh, what they did was they measured how happy people were at the start of university, and then they measured their salaries 20 years later, and the happier they were when they started university, the more money they were making 20 years later. Now, if we zoom in on the workplace or business environment, how important is it for managers and for businesses to keep their employees happy? Well. Happy employees are good for the business for a number of reasons. First of all, for in terms of health, happy people are going to be healthier, they're going to take fewer sick days, but they're also probably going to be better workers when they are there. So they're going to engage in more organizational citizenship. They're going to go the extra mile, do things that help the organization perhaps uh, run more efficiently, run more effectively. They'll help a coworker when when the coworker needs help, even though it's not in the job description. So, so they'll go the extra mile. And even if, I'd say, even if a manager is totally heartless and doesn't care about whether the employee is happy or not, the bottom line is the happiness could affect the profits. If you just, in terms of sick days alone, I think it could make a big difference.
So uh, even if you only care about profits, it still makes sense to keep your employees happy because in, in the end, in the long term, it probably will impact profits. Other research has shown that happy people are more likely to rise to the challenge in the face of adversity instead of crumbling under stress. They're able to maintain optimism. They're able to stay more on task. So unhappy people tend to get distracted uh, when, especially when they see someone performing better than they are performing. And ultimately, this leads to poorer performance. So being happy helps people to be more productive. So I could go on and on. But in short, there are a lot of benefits to have. Happiness. And these have a huge potential, uh, both for individual lives, right, in terms of being uh, healthier, um, and and also uh, huge influences on organizations, on businesses, and and even for profits. In short, there are a lot of benefits to happiness. Happiness not only feels good, but is actually good for you. So a number of ideas that we used to hold about happiness, that money can buy happiness, that money leads to happiness, are actually being turned on on their heads. So instead of money leading to happiness, there's new evidence that being happy actually can make you earn more money. Uh, being happier can actually help you live healthier, live longer. Thank you, Professor, for sharing your insights with us today. Thank you.